Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Fast am I, and welcome to our weekly Women Today podcast. On the show this week, we tried our hands at flower arranging, commemorated 100 years since the beginning of the Battle of the Somme, and Beth spoke with an extraordinarily resilient and inspiring Sarah Lakeman, the mother of two young boys from the island who died on the same night in 2014 from an accidental drug overdose. We also used a brand new website to practice speaking Manx, sorry, Gilg, and Adrian Kane stopped by midweek to test us on what we'd learned. We have an extra guest today. We're joined by Adrian Kane, Manx Language Development Officer. Hello, Adrian. Fast am I. Sorry, fast am I, Adrian. Yeah. <laughs> I do that every time, don't do. I? Adrian, <laughs> we spoke. I know it's got to stop, yeah. hasn't it? Fast am I. Um, we spoke earlier this year about a new language website you're launching. It is finally here. We've been talking about it on the news, of course. Joe and I have tried it, but more of that in a minute. Um, Going through it, though, last night, Adrian, it, it's a really interesting way of learning, and it's obviously a tried and tested method, isn't it? Yeah, it is, actually. It's not a very well-known method, but I, I, I reckon um, you won't have learned a language like this before at all. It's it's pretty... Um, it is fairly unique. It's It's been developed by uh, a uh, company in North Wales called Say Something, um, and they have a Welsh version, Say Something in Welsh, so we, we've been developing a, a Manx version, which has now gone live. So it is. It will. It will stun you. Basically, I think if you do a couple of lessons, you'll be quite taken aback by what you can learn. Actually, there's no reading, no writing. It's just listening and repetition, etc. But done in quite a, an intelligent way. And it, the, the, it must have taken you absolutely ages to record all the sections because all of the words, the phrases, the combinations. Yeah, I mean, well, it's about. I, I must have did about. Yeah, four and a half thousand sound files for what there is at, at the moment. Yeah, plus um, Ali, who's working with me, she would have done about one and a half thousand, and then they're all put together in a particular way. Thankfully, I didn't have to do that. It was uh, say something in Welsh, put all that together, really. So, but I believe you've been having a go of it, though. We yeah. have. Joe knows all thousands of them. Yeah. Don't oh, you? hey, I know what you're up to. <laughs> we did have a go, and I have to say, I got through because the, the lessons are fabulous. It's just sort of it's more repetition than anything yeah, else, and yeah. it does seem to stick in your head. I got through about I think twelve. Well, I say that. He's going to ask me now. Got through about 20, 25 minutes. And yeah, then I good. think my brain actually exploded. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a real... It's, I've never been to the gym and I have no intention of going to the gym. But I suspect it might be like what's going to the gym in a sort of linguistic sort of way. Really. Yeah. <coughs> going to the it's gym's a, a bit easier, actually. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Well, um, maybe one day. But I think, um, I think that's an age thing, though, is Adrian, it? learning right. something new, maybe. Uh, no, I don't think so. It's, and it's, uh, it's got nothing to do with age. Okay. That's just a cop-out, really, saying you know, I'm too old to learn Manx that's just that's just just a cop-out so um it is it is sometimes a good idea to not just sit down and listen to it but to get up walk around and listen to it as well um so it's not just um about really listening it's um in some sense you can almost switch off and it'll still go in in a way. So if you had it sort of on in the background, mm, it would yeah, still get into yeah, you. I also yeah. can imagine just walking the dog, you know, out and having it in your earphones and just looking yeah. a bit crazy, kind of repeating yeah, the words over and over, just You've walking around. Them. But I can imagine you doing that. Learning, learning Manx, learning any language is just a memory test. There's nothing else to it. And so is... we know words from music. You know, we actually know the words for songs from music because yeah. it's repetition and we yeah. memorise and we can hear it over and over again. Yeah, it's yeah. It definitely that repetition, I think, helps. I mean, Aaron Jones, of course, who was from the Say Something in yeah, Welsh, Yeah, he's the he? chief executive. He so, did nine hours solid. On Monday. Yeah. How did he get on? Because he was going to do a conversation yeah. with Well, you. I did. That evening we spent... Got, um, um, we did about 20 minutes. We spoke for about 20 minutes in Manx after it did. That's mad. Um, and he'd so never spoken Manx he'd, before. He didn't know a word. He'd never heard a word of Manx before that. 
That's so, bonkers. Um, it's quite, it's, yeah, it's a bit bonkers to do nine hours of it straightforward. I mean, if you found half an hour tiring, imagine doing it. <laughs> I feel um, like such a lightweight. Like 20 minutes. <laughs> 20 minutes. <laughs> 20 half minutes. an hour. <laughs> yeah, but you can you can do it really. And it is just a, it's a memory game, really. So, for example, what's Manx's word to want? Can you remember how to uh, say? Tammy, I want yeah. Tammy Geary. Oh, Tammy Geary. There you go, Tammy Geary. Can you remember how to say to speak in Manx? Lord. 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 Yeah, there you go. So, Jen. I want to speak as. Tammy Okay, what's the Manx word for Manx? Gilg. Gilg. So how do you say I want to speak Manx? Tammy Geary Lord Gilg. How do you say to me? Uh, rum. Oh, no, t- rut. Rut, yeah. Rum. Okay, yeah, r- rum. Yeah, but no, you're not wrong it. there. So, um, if it, sorry, rum is to me, to you is rut. So, um, <laughs> you're right. Yeah, you're right, yeah. So if you want to say I want to, how would you say I want to speak Manx to you? Tammy, Tammy Geary Lord Gilg Rut. <laughs> what's the Manx word to practice? Cleactor. Um, How do you say I want to practice speaking? Tamagiri Cleactor Lord. How do you say I want to practice speaking Manx to you? Tamagiri Cleactor Lord Gilg Rot. Very good. Did you get. Um... We sounds like we'd be speaking very <laughs> robotically here. <laughs> yeah. How do you say I would like? Bavalian. Oh, Bavalian. Oh, wow. Yes. Bavalian. So I would like to speak. Bavalian Lord. I would like to speak Manx to you. Prevalium Lord Gilgrut. I would like to practice speaking Manx to you. Prevalium Tamigiri Prevalium Cleactor Lord Gilgrut. Fear by. Oh, is that it? Are we carrying on? Fear by. If I remember this tomorrow, though, I'll be quite impressed. Well, but that's the whole point, isn't it? It's about how do you get your memory to remember that then? So yeah. practice example, the over, yeah. just over, over, over and over and over. So you need some ways, and this is just what learning Manx is about. It's just a memory test. How do you get your memory to, how do you get things to stick really? Yeah. And it is predominantly through a spaced repetition sort of thing. You, you've almost got to remember or repeat something just before you forget it again. And if you do that a number of times, you'll start to remember things. It's 19 minutes to three. And a little bit earlier, we were talking about Adele's performance at Glastonbury and her use of the F word. And just asking what you think about swearing in general. Is it okay? Is it offensive? Are we just too used to it nowadays? Um, Katie's texted to say, I don't like swearing, especially when you use it to speak to children. My parents didn't swear and my husband did not swear at home. I suspect he may have done at work. I'm not used to hearing swearing. And the Facebook is lit up with this one. Uh, John says, I believe she's very talented. I like most of her songs, but there's no need for Adele's bad language. Other bands and artists performed at Glastonbury without having to resort to swearing to get a reaction. It was undoubtedly after the watershed, but there were hundreds of young children at the festival. Indeed, after commenting on the fact that it was the best bleeping day of her life, she then invited a 10-year-old on stage. It amazed me that she continued to swear for the rest of the concert, knowing there were children present. Uh, A few years back, Michael McIntyre came to the Gaiety. A youngster had been brought in by his parents, even though there was an age restriction on the ticket. He'd said a few swears before he realised, but then immediately toned down his language. Good for him, although it did put a dampener on things to him for the adult audience. There's a time and a place for strong language in front of young children is neither the time nor the place. And he also goes on to say, nice that people have tried to protect Adele by calling her foul language colourful or potty mouth, etc. I could go on. Um, Beth says, was a fan of hers, not any, this isn't our it Beth. Me. It wasn't, it wasn't our me. Beth. Was a fan of hers, not anymore. I think her stardom has gone to head and she thinks everyone will accept anything she does. Not this, used to be a fan. That's a shame, isn't it? But you know what? I just think there's worse things in life.
But now we're talking about the Firefighters Three Peak Charity Challenge. On Thursday, a group of firefighters from the Isle of Man are going to attempt to scale three mountains in just 24 hours. We are joined by some of that team, Cleo Swales, Sam Quilish and Dave Riley, who's just driving them all there. I'm not saying just driving. That's obviously a very, very important part of the job, Dave. You know, that moral support element is, is crucial. I yeah? like to think it's the most important part of the challenge. I bet you do. <laughs> um, but it's, it is raising money for a really important cause. It's the Firefighters Charity. But actually, Cleo, there's never been anybody to take part in this challenge before. Why did you all decide that you wanted to do it? We saw it in a magazine um, at the fire station and we, when Richie, who's one of our colleagues that's joining us for the challenge, uh, suggested that we should put a team in. It's a, it's an actual firefighters charity challenge. So we we decided to, um, to put a team together and um, do it for this worthwhile charity. And uh, how much did it take to, to get you guys involved? Were you sort of, you know, hands up straight away, Sam? Yeah, I think uh, I think it was on our Christmas party night, so it was, uh. Uh, everyone was very happy to agree to it at that point. Um, but no, um, we put across the station anyone that wanted to come, and we've got a team together. So give us um, a name check of who's in the team. Uh, we've got ourselves here, so Cleo, Dave and myself, uh, Richie Sims, Rod Clayton and Mark Cleeter. And you've all been out, as you were saying earlier, Cleo, doing um, walks on a, on a Thursday evening. Um, what are the sort of preparation things you've been doing, Sam? Um, well, I suppose all of us are quite sporty in general. So uh, I know myself and Dave are keen cyclists and uh, I do a bit of running and fell running as well. And Cleo does a lot of running and uh, walking as well. So we're all relatively fit. It's just we were just trying to, it, I mean, you can be as fit as you want, but walking's a completely different game to what a lot of us do. So we're just trying to do the walking on top to try and, I don't know, it's more sort of... This is trying to get used to, just it, trying yeah, to use yeah. to, so we know what to kind of expect when we're, when we're climbing up the mountains. Um, and obviously, even though you're tired after coming down from one, you still have, after a few hours, you've got the second one and then obviously the third one. So um, you just we just have to kind of, support each other and to get ourselves through it hopefully um, and so what is it do you, do you the team all have to stay together Dave is that what what needs to happen yeah so basically what will happen is um, it will start in Fort William for Ben Nevis um, the guys will go to the summit check in at the top and back down to the car park where then they will just will just immediately leave and drive straight down to Scarfell Pike which is in the lakes um, and again, exactly the same situation, turn around and off down to Snowdon. Um, the event will actually finish on the summit of Snowdon. Um, it's not time back down, so hopefully I'll have a little jog up and meet them up the top of Snowdon. And obviously the aim is to raise um, as much money as possible. I think your target, Sam, is, is £1,000. How's the fundraising gone? Yeah, I think when we checked it last, we were just under £700. So um, we're looking to try and get the 1000 hopefully, before we start tomorrow morning. Uh, and the, as a as a, a community on the island, I mean, how close, Dave, would you say the firefighters are? Because you, you sort of hinted at the, the impact that the work that you do can have. Well, certainly in a retained station, they tend to be, the fire service would be mostly your friend base because when you're not working, you you spend the rest of the time with the guys that you're, you know, you're in the fire service with. We. We're committed to, which might surprise some people, is 120 hours a week that we need to be able to be available for the fire service. Um, it's quite a commitment. So 
if you're living living in some of the smaller communities like Seacurt, Michael, Port Erin, um, it's almost impossible for you to leave those villages. You know, once you take into your into the, the hours that you're actually doing for your daytime job as well. So it's it's a big commitment. And uh, we've had a text in from Bill who says, a few years ago, I crashed on the coast road on the way to Kirk Michael. The fire service had to cut me out. Well done to these guys. I would like to pledge £100. Yay, How lovely is that? It is about 20 minutes to three now. You are listening to Women Today. And our studio guest today is Steve Marsh. He's coming to talk to us about the Manx Workshop for the Disabled. Steve, how long have you been at the workshop for? Uh, just over seven months now. And how did you get involved with it? Uh, being disabled ex-serviceman, um, I was in the job centre just inquiring. And uh, and they said, sent me off to a separate person. I had a, an interview with them. And he said, yeah, you seem to be. If you nip down to the workshop and have a quick chat, and uh, under the old nobles is uh, is where it's based. So I hadn't been there before, and uh, went in, had a chat with the boss. He liked me. Went back up to the top, sorted all the paperwork out, and uh, they do a, a, a six month contract where your your wage is paid by the uh, the job centre, um, and it's looking for sort of people who are disabled but are looking to get back into full time work after some sort of life changing incident or or just something they've had their whole life already, and uh, it it we've I think we've got five people back into jobs now uh, in the last year so it's it's looking good from there that's brilliant so, so how has it helped you first of all tell us tell us what your disability is because i suppose for some people they might not see it because it's not that visible your disability yes i, I can I, as i say i can i can bluff a good walk because my uh, <laughs> my surgeon worded it quite well because my left knee's uh, completely shot and i've got two four inch bolts in my right ankle Ooh. um uh, the way he worded it is because i, I walk normally because i limp with both legs Oh my word! But but I mean, you have to to be able to presumably do stuff at the workshop. Yeah. you must have to be capable to a certain extent. Of yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's people who have probably had uh, sort of physical jobs before, because uh, we're uh, mostly based on carpentry with the, the things, we, the benches and things we produce. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 for. I mean, there's certain other jobs we've got clerical people we help out as well who are coming back in, who've had uh, previous confidence problems or, or issues on uh, of a mental nature. And because we have uh, a candle department, we've also got picture framing we're starting up with now, um, getting guys getting into the swing of that. Um, and there's so, so many various things we can do. It, uh, it gets people back into the thinking in the right direction. So when they do apply for a job, and we'll support them with that, get CVs written, the boss will even go with them for their first interview if they're quite shy. And uh, it gets people back in, the system is the wrong word to use, but it gets people back into full-time employment. And with, with what you're talking about now, these different things like candle making and framing and things, do you have to be creative then? Uh, no, we've uh, we've got things set up so uh, anyone can move into all kinds of jobs from a, from a very basic level up to uh, a, a qualified chippy, let's say, wanted to get back into work. We can throw them back into making uh, gates for houses and things like that. So there's 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 a full sweep of everything to do. I spoke to recently uh, James Cameron for Mission Motorsport, yeah, yeah. which are you familiar with yeah, it? Yeah. I mean, it sounds very familiar, but more arty obviously what you're doing. But he was explaining to me that the ongoing effect of what happens with the people they re- rehabilitate as well is it works within families. It brings people back together and includes social confidence as well. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just uh, just the uh, being in an environment where you've got interaction with other people um, is absolutely marvellous because uh, people who arrive on their first day are quiet and shy. And within a couple of weeks, I mean, you obviously get the, the 
a certain level of banter that goes around, which is it is marvelous for for anyone. It's dark banter as dark well. Dark banter, isn't it? yes, a lot of yes. Time. Amongst amongst disabled people, you can go to a whole new level of banter. And that's army as well, though, isn't yes, it? Yes, from a military background for me. But yeah, it, I mean, it's the same guys who've come off building sites who've who've, who've uh, for example, lost limbs, uh, trying to get them back into different jobs, and they've completely lost their confidence for their job. And we get them back into the mindset where they go, there's a whole plethora of things out there for them to do and that they, they can they can choose what they want. And you say yourself, you found it very beneficial personally, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, from obviously during the six months, uh, the, the transition from sort of student to, to, to helping people out by the end of it as well. Um, it was nice just to get back in and, and prove I, I still could do a job um, doing all the carpentry stuff. I've, I've, there's a range of furniture I'm now making on my own which is which is quite a step up from my first day sitting there holding the wrong end of a chisel and you you sit there but yeah so getting the hang of it now I think that is brilliant and and as well I mean we, we're talking about the amount of people that, that could benefit from this I was really surprised to see from the website that there's between 12 and 14 percent of the island's population are classified as disabled yeah yeah uh, uh, it's um I, some people look at it differently than myself they look at oh, I'm disabled that holds me back um I'm just thinking in a different direction and helping disabled people whilst i mean we obviously we produce we produce goods which are for sale mm-hmm. i should mention to keep the boss happy but um that's a sort of a, a byproduct of developing people into someone who can go out and get a job um and it's it's just all the different things we can do we've always got the staple products we produce uh, with the full-time staff doing those in between but they they then spend the rest of their time bringing people onwards um up to their level that they're comfortable with we don't want to push anyone too much but we find a level that that they can do now Um, it might not be what they did before any incident they were involved in but yeah we bring them up to a level so they know what they can do we know what they can do point them off to aim for a job that that would be good for them and it all just lines into place then and it's just wonderful when they go off and go yes i'm really happy with this job and uh but yeah so and the products as well that you mentioned, I mean, one of the reasons why we contacted you in the first place is because we recently had Miles on from, I'm going to say Noah, but you're going to correct me. I'm going to say Nor Bakehouse. Because you speak some Manx, A don't you? A little bit of Manx, yes. So it's actually for all you people out there who think it's Noah, it's not, it's Nor Which means Bakehouse. new and fresh. There you go. Oh, he's on it, isn't he? He's so on it. And uh, obviously you've been working with them because you, you create these beautiful boxes, yeah, don't yeah. you? I mean, it all started off with a crate was brought into us. And uh, we looked at it and said, well, could you do some lasering on the top of that? And I said, well, could I try making a, a crate for you? Personalise the top of it. And if you like them, we'll, we'll start a line of those. And uh, that all fell into place. So the guys are really busy at work now. Sorry. And, uh, <laughs> it's all your fault. They're making lots of crates. They were lovely boys. They were full of life, full of energy, full of fun. They had a great sense of humour. And uh, yeah, we all got on really, really well. I, got, I had a really good relationship and they were very protective towards me. And uh, Right from being little, actually, and obviously as a mother, I was protecting them when they were little, but as they got older, they, kind of, they, they wanted to protect me as a mother, and it was really, really nice. So, uh, they were very affectionate boys, yeah, very sensitive, very, very affectionate boys. Yeah. And they got on really well together? They did, yeah. Well, they're very close in age, there's only 15 months between them, so they, they were more like twins, really. Lots of people used to say that they looked like twins. So they were slightly different in looks, but, but they're age-wise, and of course they had the same interests because they grew up together, there wasn't a big gap between them. Take me back to when you realised that something had gone wrong, um, what what happened? How did you find out what had happened? Well, when they didn't return home from the football match, um, they were expected... Obviously, Jacques was in London, his uh, grandma and 
Clara was at Aberystwyth and they were both expected back at a certain time and uh, they didn't turn up. So at that point we knew something was wrong because none of them had turned up so we just started ringing around. Uh, well, we started with the police and uh, they said we had to wait and see. But we rang the Aberystwyth police and we rang the London Metropolitan Police and we rang the Manchester Police. And it was kind of all night long, we just kept ringing and saying... Uh, then they said we had to contact the police over here. And they came round and just said, oh, they're probably just having fun. And we said, no, they don't like that. They wouldn't let us know. And neither of them were in the phone. And we started ringing the hospitals. Um, and But we knew by the end of that evening, that night, that it was a Sunday night, um, and they hadn't turned up on the Monday. I can't even imagine what it's like to to go through that and to get the confirmation of of what you feared had happened. How do you start dealing with that, Sarah? Well, the first thing was you just go into total shock, even though I was expecting it when I actually heard the news. The policeman walked through the door and it was about seven o'clock in the evening and I just looked at them and I said, you've just gone to tell me what I know already. And they sat down and I just went into shock and my friends came round straight away. And... Obviously, you cry a lot. I, I, I cried an awful lot at the beginning. Um, we went away straight away, which is probably a good thing, because we removed ourselves from the immediate situation of all our friends and the community, because it was a community tragedy as well as a family tragedy. Um, we went away and we had the funeral uh, in Harrogate. Where we spent a lot of time when they were young in Harrogate. That's where the grandparents lived. And uh, we kept ourselves busy organising the funeral. Um, but a lot of crying and then I, I actually didn't want to come back to the Isle of Man I was terrified absolutely terrified how I was going to react and how people were going to react to me when I came back and I was really really scared and at one point I actually turned around to her and said Let, let's just not go back but obviously our life's here so we came back and um, people were wonderful that's what kept us going that is what kept us going people were absolutely wonderful the whole community looked after us Really, it was really, really nice. The school were wonderful. The people, and everybody we met, we didn't find that people were avoiding us. Um, we found that people just would come and give us a hug, and and that was really, really nice. That's what kept us going. And I lost my confidence, of course I did. I didn't go out for a long time, but gradually, with the help of friends, and distracting techniques were really useful. I picked up my Spanish A level, which I was doing, and I read a lot. I walked a lot. Lots of solitary things because I needed to get my head right. And at one point, Ray was very worried about me and he said to me, you're never going to go back to school because you can't face people. And I said, look, I can't know, but I know that that's what I'm aiming for, but I need to do it my own time. And gradually, my friends were dragging me out and I was integrating with people a lot more. And, um, and I got over that hurdle. The boys are still very much part of your life aren't they? I mean you talk about them all, all the time. time all the time we talk about them. we're not frightened to talk about them and sometimes I'm, I'm out walking now and I just think yeah one of them's that side of me one of them's that side of me they're kind of flanking me and it's just nice do you really feel that yeah I do sometimes I do just feel because I used to walk with them by in the middle of them when they were little and when they were bigger and, and I just think yeah okay boys walking with your mum <laughs> um and I know um with they if they would want me to to, to live a life that's fulfilled and I, I just thought I had a choice that well, everybody in my position do you, do you spend the rest of your life grieving? Obviously you do in a certain way or do you try and make the most of your life 
which is what I've tried to do because I know that's what the boys have wanted and I've um, I didn't want to be I don't want people to look at me and feel sorry for me I don't want to be defined by my grief what I want to do is live my life the best way I can for my boys and how did you find it going back to work because you are a teacher um, mm. and you know at a secondary school so dealing mm. with with people who, who are near enough your boys age mm. scary very scary uh, the first time I went in was in the holidays, in the Easter holidays, when there was nobody around. Um, and I just met a few people then. But I was quite traumatised because I did feel, um, am I going to be able to cope with this? I wasn't even sure whether I was going to be able to stand in front of a class. Um, but the school was so supportive. And the next time I went back, it was a cake day. So I just went into the staff room and I met all the staff. And they were just saying, they were just really nice to me. I'd love to see you back. Nothing, nothing else. It's just what I needed. And then when I first started back, I didn't teach. They kept me off timetable. I did a lot of admin work for the department. I just popped in to see the children and say, hi, I'm back. And, and they were just always oh, loved to see you back, miss. And that, that was exactly what I needed. Nobody made a big fuss and I just slotted back in and just built up my confidence that way. I know when people have lost people close to them, the first year afterwards especially is so difficult. You've got the, the significant events and birthdays and Christmas. It would have been Torrin's birthday. It would, would have been this yeah, weekend. Um, and you're celebrating it. We're celebrating it because if you don't celebrate it, the memories die. And you don't want the memories to die. They've been part of your life for so long. We need to keep that memory alive. And it's it's hard. Christmas is hard. Birthdays are hard. Mother's Day, Father's Day. They're all very, very hard. But we celebrate them all because it's so important. You know, it's amazing talking to you, Sarah, that you you can talk about them and, you, and you're very open about what you've been through. Do you still have those really bad days? I still have very bad days, yeah. But I get through them with my sense of humour. I have a, I have a very uh, acute sense of humour and I, I get through them. I pick myself up and obviously I'm going to have very bad days. But I'm not going to let those bad days dominate my life. Uh, if I've had a bad day, then I'll just pick myself up. And sometimes I, I, I'm not afraid of showing my emotion. And sometimes at school I've broken down in front of the kids. Something's reminded me. But they've been really great. Absolutely great. In fact, um, one of my students left this the other day and he brought me a card and he said Miss, you are, you are the most resilient person I've ever met in my life. Well, that was lovely because they've, they've, they've been so, the, the children at school have been so supportive and it's been absolutely fantastic. The grief process won't go away, it's just dealing with things you have to deal with things. A mother losing a child especially losing both their children is, is possibly the worst thing you can imagine going through how would you from your position what would you say to people who who are worried about about going up to somebody who's maybe been through that and and knowing what to say? I don't think they need to worry. I think they just need to treat you as a normal human being because that's what you are. You're a normal human being. You've got grief, but you're still that person that was there before, and that's what they've got to do. And that's what most people have done, which has been why it's been so helpful. Grief is is a hugely hugely personal thing. I imagine that the way that you and your husband have both dealt with this have probably been markedly different. But if anybody is is listening and has to go through something similar, what sort of words of advice would you have for them? I would say go with your feelings. If you want to cry, cry. Do what you want to do when you're ready. Don't let anybody pressurise you into doing something you're not ready to do. Don't put yourself under stress. My whole attitude has changed now. I never, ever put myself under stress now. I will walk away from any stressful situation. And I don't worry about things anymore like I used to. Because... I used to worry about my boys and of course they're not here now so I've got nothing to worry about now have I Women today brought to you by citywing.com for your next flight away 
You are listening to Women Today. It's 20 minutes to three now. And our studio guests are from one of the island's best known and longest running businesses. Robinson's is now 130 years old and we have with us Janet Hostas and Matty Nelson. Uh, Janet, what do you know of those first years of the business starting? Um, it started on the quay side down on Douglas Quay um, and it was my great, great, great grandmother who started the business and it was solely just fruit and vegetables along with hundreds of other little stalls selling potatoes carrots anything they could sell as the years went on and my father and uncles came into the business and we had this shop in strand street which was just again solely fruit and vegetables and they used to sell it to the public and chinese restaurants any restaurants onions potatoes and from there it's just grown I'm into a full food service company now where we sell everything from start to finish, from a potato to frozen items to flowers. We smoke our own fish on site um, and that's available to everyone on the island and all the restaurants. And would they have started out by growing this, this veg themselves then? No, they used to buy it from all the um, farmers on the island and some of the farms are still going now, um, the Allensons, the Neil families, and we still buy from the next generations of those families as well so we hugely support local producers on the island we always try and sell as much local produce as possible and that's been the same for the last 130 years and it must be difficult though because of course you're working with fresh fruit and veg aren't you so i mean shelf life is difficult to deal with isn't it surely yes and no we're quite lucky we have a huge amount of turnover as i was explaining to you before all our produce goes into the shops but all the restaurants and the hospitals the schools all your outlets are buying this produce so we are bringing stuff in and it's going straight out that day we've got a fifty-eight thousand square foot warehouse up on cool road where the fresh produce comes in in the morning it's gone by the afternoon and it's refilled yes you do get a few freshness problems but we deal with it when we have those issues. Now, Jana, I mean, it, it, all of these things that we're just talking about, do you think that suggests that um, we've got a more sort of distinguished taste now on the island, that we, we like to try lots of different things now? Do you think it's changed over the years, the typical customer? Yeah, hugely. And the Oriental um, cash and carry we've got up on Cool Road, that's developed from customer feedback. It was people asking for the variety of ingredients. Um, people People's tastes have changed, haven't they? And they want mm-hmm. to try different items and I think also things like MasterChef on the telly people are encouraged to try different items to try and food up in, up in uh, the Cool Road uh, site you know we have some of the most weird and wonderful vegetables oh, yeah. that yeah. you know that y- you can ever imagine and people see things on the internet or they see them um, you know on some of the Facebook pages and they think oh I want to try that and obviously you know we try and cater for them people that want to have that little special ingredient that they can't really get in the, in, in some some of the supermarkets do you know what to do with them Matty? I have no, no. idea <laughs> <laughs> I love it. but the veg for instance okay so there's also a big change where over the past years, we're not just all about having our <coughs> seasonal veg now, are we? So, like, for instance, you'd expect to get your strawberries at a certain time of year. Now they're around all year long. Yeah. And does that presumably that means you have to sort of start sourcing them from further afield. Yeah, we buy a lot out of Holland, um, France. We buy stuff from all over the world. Um, and whenever it's available, people want to have these ingredients all year round. Obviously, when things are in season at the minute, we've got a huge amount of Manx strawberries. So mm-hmm. in the stores, they're mostly selling Manx strawberries and the restaurants are also taking the Manx strawberries. So that's great. And it's nice to see. 
And the start of next month sees an event which has been described as a major asset to the Isle of Man's profile. It is the Flower Festival. It runs for a week from Sunday, July the 3rd. And this year there are 19 venues taking part and the theme is Supporting Achievement. And we are joined in the studio today by some committee members of the Isle of Man Flower Festival. Um, And we're going to be talking about what's happening around the island and how you can go along and see it. And uh, Judy Matthews, you've also brought in um, some materials for us to have go as well. We have and we've brought an expert um, with us who is in the form of Eileen Gill uh, who is a demonstrator and one of the island's top flower arrangers. Eileen do you ever just get flowers and bung them in a vase? Yes um, if it's lilies I always do because lilies do best in a glass vase. Okay do you know I got a a bunch of flowers last week which is very lovely um, and I don't think I've ever actually really known what you should do to try and keep flowers looking their best for as long as possible. I mean, I sort of hack the ends of the stems off, maybe, you know, make sure I change the water every couple of days. I I throw some sugar in as well sometimes. I don't know if I read that somewhere. (laughs) Yes, there's lots of little tricks. They like um, all kinds of things people suggest putting in, but really the flower food that often comes with the bouquet is the best thing to use. And to have your glass vases really clean oh mine, mine's sparkling sparkling sparkling, sparkling. yes <laughs> um, we're also joined by uh, Shirley Quay Shirley thank you so much for being here and you arranged for all the uh, the flowers to come in yes. for us to have a go so thank you very much for that and we will be posting a video of how we get on on the Women's Day Facebook page after the show but Shirley how did you get into flower arranging um, through church really and then I was a member of the Northern Floral Art Group And you and Judy are on the committee, and I'm imagining, Judy, that it takes an awful lot to arrange a festival of this size because it's really blossomed, if you don't mind me using that expression, (laughs) uh, over the past few years. Yes, it does, but it's it's a two-sided thing. There's the, the, the role of the committee, but then the biggie is the role of the people who are actually doing the groundwork on the, you know, in the churches, in the venues. Um, we've got two Manx National Heritage venues this year taking part. Um, and that's where it's a different sort of work, but that's where the, the grassroot, the flower arranging goes on. Um, and it isn't just the flower arranging, it's the support of all the stewards and the people who provide the numerous cakes and teas and coffees and lunches and things. So it's a big, big team effort and the committee is really only one small part of that. And Eileen, would you agree that this is really a pursuit that women tend to take up? Unfortunately, yes, because um, we've not managed to coax many men in the Isle of Man to join in. And really, the best flower rangers in the world and best designers, I hate to be sexist, but they are the men. Why is that, do you think? I don't know. But they, you know, they just are. Okay, well, you haven't seen us yet, Eileen. Now, our studio guest today is Julia Ashby-Smythe, an artist and also the curator of the Hodgson Loom Gallery. Uh, Before we move on, Julia, just tell us how the Hodgson Loom Gallery came about. Um, The owners of Laxawilla Mill decided to take the space, which was the old loomery where all the looms sat, and make it over into a gallery space to give the opportunity for Manx artists to show their their work. I mean, which is an amazingly generous thing to do with a space that they could have used for retail. And it is a gorgeous space. Being a little bit elevated, you've got some gorgeous light and it's big, big walls. And it's, it's just beautiful. And we've got some great artists in there. But then that's, you know, the Isle of Man's full of amazing talent. And uh, just to be able to get to show it is 
it's wonderful so much variety as well and we mentioned at the top of the show obviously one of the things you're known for is your depictions of sort of fairy tales and folklore uh, can i just ask you do you believe in fairies <laughs> of course of course yeah you always say hello to fairies always put little bits of chocolate out for them and things you never know i'd rather be in the good books than in their bad books <laughs> fantastic but we were just talking before about your new exhibition which is coming up um before the end of the year which you've been very busy working on and it sounds like it's it's going to be somewhat of a sort of move from from what people may know of your work it's the exhibition will be called elemental uh it's with elizabeth cowan and neil milson as well so it's a three-way exhibition we are all very um in touch with that side of the world or um and so it will be full of all sorts of elemental spiritual earthy things uh so a lot of my work has been drawn from deep places but there will be an element of humor in there as well but there there has been a lot of depth work done shall we call it uh so it will be it will be very similar to what i do but there will be some departures do you think do you think you can you have to be born creative or can creativity sort of appear um i think you need to have something that you can that you can tap into naturally it, if you can t- teach techniques but if it's not there if you haven't got that imagination it must be really difficult to create so I've, it's hard to gauge because i've always been of a very imaginative nature. I don't know what it would be like not to have that. I mean, I dream things and see pictures and uh, I don't know what it would be like not to have that. So I can only talk from my particular perspective. Uh, you mentioned as well that you, you went off to university, didn't you, did a degree. Yeah. Um, do you think it's necessary for someone who wants to get into art to go to university? No, not at all. If it's sometimes if you're taught something then you don't know any other way some of the best artists have stumbled across a technique and that you would never be taught because that's wrong how dare you um and so i don't think you need to be taught if it's in you it's in you and you're gonna it's going to come out one way or another and so just do whatever you fancy it might not be on paper it might be on something else might be on banana skins drawing on banana skins is fantastic have you actually done that yes you're brilliant. <laughs> What's the craziest medium you've worked with then? Um, I've worked with nail varnish and banana skins. Uh, a collection of banana skins. Yeah, it's all right until they go bad. Yeah. And it's, it's a very it's transitory. A bit of a smelly yeah. one as well. It needs to be nice, firm banana with a biro. You've got to try it. You is can't this, stop writing on is it. Is this with the banana flesh still in it? Yeah. Or? yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. I was imagining, I yeah, the, write, just the peel. Yeah, write messages and doodle all over bananas. You've got to try it. It's worth it. Just, you'll never stop. Once you start, it's an addiction. Now, it does seem that over the past few years that there's been more avenues for artists over here to get their work out there. I mean, I've noticed in the museum and the Loom Gallery as well, mm-hmm. there's now such a fantastic range of, for instance, greetings cards. Um, and so it's, it seems much easier now for people to own a piece of art because a, a greetings card in itself is a piece of art, isn't it? Yeah. Um, would you say that it's, it's much better for artists now? Yeah, there's so many. there are so many more ways of getting your artwork out there and you can produce it yourself or reproduce it yourself to a greater audience and... You don't, years back, you would have had to have had someone to take it to someone to talk to somebody and all down the line, you're getting further away from your work, whereas now you can take control of it and reproduce it as you want and make it small, make it large. It, it, the, 
you've got Facebook, you've got Twitter, you've got Instagram. There's so many more ways for different people to see what you're doing. Whereas you'd have had to have hawked yourself around everywhere to try and get a little bit of exposure. Whereas now you can you can just post it and there it goes and your next thing you've got a message from New Zealand going, uh, oh, seen your art. Do you think there is enough out there for an artist to just make a living by doing this kind of thing then? Is it is, is it difficult over here? Before computers arrived and you every but if somebody wanted a picture of a Father Christmas you used to have to draw it. Mm-hmm. But now you've got all the clip art you can cut and paste and everything. So there is the graphic advertising side of it is is a lot less. But I think I have to be adaptable. I call myself an art tart because I'm a pencil for hire. So I will work because I'm I need commissions. Um, I think you need to, to be adaptable then. But then other people get work because of the style they use. I mean, it, it, it's who you meet, who wants your work, what you're willing to pay. It's it's very much a take your chances and see. No, we've just had a message in uh, which you did say that Dave oh. might message. I'm assuming this is your Dave. What do you call a collection of banana skins? <laughs> Ooh, it would have to be a slip of banana skins. Oh, very good. Yeah, I do like a collective noun. <laughs> I am a collective noun whore. By the time the battle was over, uh, the end of middle of November, it's almost a, a million casualties from both sides. And sometimes I think we forget that um, you know that war is fought by at least two parties, and there's two sides to this story. You know, for me, the reason that this battle is so important is I think it really gave everybody an insight into what war was like. It was the first time it became an industrial scale slaughter. And that's what we see. That's certainly what we see in the records. Absolutely. Because, of course, these young men that were going off to war, some of them were excited about the adventure of it. They Mm. clearly had no idea, did they, what they were going to face? Well, no, because for for many of them, this was the very first time they'd seen battle. You know, they were part of Kitchener's army and, and, you know, they'd come straight off the streets, straight off the farms and off to war. And they were very much expecting that, you know, know, the whistle will blow at 7.30, they'll climb the ladders... And, you know, they will run across no man's land and be, you know, safely in German trenches before lunch. And, of course, you know, the harsh reality was, no, they would be lucky to survive the first day. 20,000 young men, boys, for the most part, died on that day alone. Absolutely shocking. We've been hearing over the course of the morning on various different memorials and ceremonies that have been happening. There have been readings from different diaries because there have been quite a few diaries found, haven't they, documenting what happened? Yeah, you get this wonderful array of sources. Uh, It's, you know, one of the great things about the military is they love to record everything. And so we do have this wealth of history. We have both the the service records and the pension records. Uh, We have military index cards as well that can give you an indication if somebody uh, got a medal in the the First World War. And then we have the regimental diaries. For the most part, a perfunctionary account of what the regiment's doing and, you know, the orders that they followed and how they followed them and what have you. And then the Somme happens and they suddenly become something else entirely. And whilst I don't want to suggest that they become emotional, but you start to just see the horror unfolding. And it does so for 141 days. You just see account after account of men going over the top, being 
cut down minutes after they'd left the trenches. And if they weren't fortunate enough to die straight away, they just had to leave them out there in no man's land, waiting until the cover of darkness when they could go and you know recover the injured, if they were lucky enough to be able to do that. And how much information is there out there about the women? Because, of course, we talk about the men who were on the field, but there were many women who were not only involved with regards to nursing or helping out in other ways, but, of course, it was the women who were sort of left behind. You know, they lost their husbands, they had their children were without fathers, and they had to somehow carry on. They, they did. And, you know, when you you, know, you look at, at, um, at things like the war diaries and you get a sense of the impact to men, but you don't really get a sense until you step away from it the impact that this had to women you know for, for women their if you like their their job in the first world war and indeed in all wars is the burden of grief and you know and i think nothing documents that you know that's a very personal experience we don't talk about that very much we don't talk about the impact it had on women who just had to pick up their lives and get on with it. And, and in many cases, just did not have the luxury of grief. And I think it's our job as family historians to mark that, to build those trees, to understand the other sacrifices that were made because of war. Because if we don't, and we just have a tendency to look at war as one thing that just happens to men, like we are in danger of repeating it. So we need to understand the impact of war on everybody in order to make sure it doesn't happen again which is why it's so important on anniversaries like today to, to market the way we are doing. So obviously, as I mentioned earlier, we are several generations down now. How can we find out then if our ancestors were involved, if we're not sure ourselves? Like I said, there's so much information available online now. So what Ancestry does is, you know, I'm sure many of you out there listening will know that Ancestry is a family history website. It's a paid service. So you pay monthly or you pay annually to get access to these records. But because the Somme is so important, and I think because it's such an important part of our history, what, what we've done is we've made all of our military records, UK military records, free up until Monday night, midnight Monday night. So it's a perfect opportunity for you to get in there and get access to something that you'd normally have to, to pay for. Have a look in the service records. Now, the service records aren't necessarily complete because they were destroyed in the Second World War, but they're a great place to start. The pension records are another good source because they're complete. And then you want to look at the metal card indexes and once you find an ancestor so just start with a name start looking find out what regiment they're in then go to those war diaries and have a look through the war diaries now just an important safety tip when you do that make sure you've got plenty of fluids and snacks near you because as soon as you open that first page of a war diary you will become engrossed as you're transported to the lines and you get to see the lives of your ancestors and indeed the deaths unfold before you. Thanks for listening to our best bits of the week. If you missed any of last week's programmes and would like to hear them in full, you can listen on demand at manxradio.com for seven days after broadcast. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at MR Women Today. Don't sit in the slow lane. Join the fast lane right now with Shaw's all-new Superfast Plus Broadband. Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus Broadband from Shaw. For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey and Port Erin or click shaw.com. Love being Shaw. Terms and conditions apply.